0: Welcome, everyone, to the Marine Manu Cherry Show. We are live here in Seattle, and of course, live on the internet. You can go to KKNW, 1150 AM, on the web or energyintuitive.com on the web, and you can just push the stream live button, and you can listen from anywhere in the world, which I find fascinating. And also, we have a toll-free number, so you can call in from anywhere in the world, just about anywhere in the world, anywhere that AT&T will find you, and you'll be able to call into the show and ask questions. As always, we are thrilled and grateful to have listeners from around the country and around the world. It warms our heart here. Eric and I are always surprised every time we get someone calling from Rome or Holland or Serbia, which is been an interesting one. Um, yeah, surprised uh, and excited. And excited and incredibly humbled and grateful. So we are thrilled that you listen to the show. We are also thanking our callers this month for uh, calling in because it's courageous when we have different guests. And of course, there's Marie Tuesdays. It's just Marie, Boot Camp for the Soul. And so we, of course, are thanking our callers by giving away CDs and DVDs this month. All you have to do is go to my website, energyintuitive.com, go into the the store page and look at the different CDs and DVDs and if you are picked from the hat at the end of the day if you call in, we're picking three a day um, then you get to pick which one you want and we'll send it to you and that's our thank you for being courageous and for calling in and asking those sometimes difficult questions that help thousands of other people who aren't calling in so we just so appreciate that and it's Thursday so we have a guest Fantastic. I know. Always fun. And um, Alyssa, my assistant, she's really good at helping me find authors and other people that I believe stand on the edge of thought that I can interview on Thursdays. And she found this wonderful book. It's called What's Up Down There? Questions You'd Only Ask a Gynecologist If She Was Your Best Friend. <laughs> it's a hysterical book. It's written by Dr. Alyssa Rankin. And I think... So, Lissa, are you from California? I am. I live in the Bay Area. From the Bay Area. Well, I just love that you're in the show. I'm just going to talk about you a little bit. Um, Lissa likes to think outside of the box. You're an author and an artist and now a speaker and a coach and all of these wonderful things about you. You attract readers, patients, healers, and collectors and admirers around the world. Your message and your example are redefining what it means to be healthy, healthy, vibrant, and alive as a woman in the 21st century, which is so exciting. As a practicing gynecologist, nationally represented professional artist, teacher, mother, and author, Lissa Rankin started a simple blog in 2009 to document her personal quest to integrate all the fragmented facets of our being. Um, owningpink.com immediately caught fire with readers from who saw Lyssa in a growing soul and kindred spirit, which is lovely, I bet you're just thrilled about that.
1: Oh, the, owningpink.com has been the best thing I've ever done in my life. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it's been
0: wonderful. Oh, that's wonderful. And of course, it has 25,000 readers, which is amazing. And then you have a huge um, 60,000 social media, Twitter, I'm assuming, because I follow you on Twitter. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where the other 60,000 comes from. Well, thank you so much for coming to the show. You are just a delight. I was um, reading over Chapter 1 uh, this today because your father's a physician. Yes. And that's how this all kind of started because you said that you grew up in a hospital.
1: I did. I literally scrubbed in on my first surgery when I was 12.
0: Right. I saw, I read that, and the surgeon actually gave you your first uterus to hold. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> I didn't quite know what to do with it. We walked into the room of the patient afterwards, and I, here I am, like this little pip squeak of a 12 year old. I'm like, I held your uterus. He's like, shh.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> you weren't supposed to, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, well, one of the things is you have great humor the way you ask questions. And I also know that you recently. Um, hung up your stethoscope is how you put it just a few moments ago before we went on air because you're now working as a coach.
1: I am. Rather I, than a
0: gynecologist.
1: You know, the thing about growing up in a hospital is I never actually consciously went through the process of making a decision to become a doctor. I don't recall that. Like for as long as I can remember, I was a doctor. Right. Your and whole I just life. went to medical yeah. school to kind of get the credentials to do it. Right. But what I realized after many years of, of conflict was that I had that calling to be a healer early on. But the, 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 the traditional white coat of fitting into today's broken health care system has just never fit me. So right. it feels really liberating to be able to kind of let go of the, the speculum and the stirrups and the stethoscope in order to focus on what I do best, which is really, you know, counseling and coaching and helping people catalyze change in
0: their yeah, lives. Yeah, helping them be all that they can be.
1: Exactly. Right. And a lot of that is about health. You know, it's, I sure. focus on people's career changes and their physical health, their spirituality, their sexuality, their creativity, all of that kind of stuff of what makes
0: us all whole. Well, and I hope that you'll have, you know, you w- w- after a while you may get a little bit you may miss doing a pap smear too. I I I'm not a physician, but I was an oncology nurse and sometimes yeah. I miss putting in IVs or Foley catheters or sometimes yelling at a few docs no disrespect to you. <laughs> exactly. But um I missed that. And so yeah. there's I know there's one thing after reading your book you're not going to miss. You had you've had some fun, interesting, incredible stories. I can see why so many people followed you on your blog. But you had this really weird thing. You said it was the grossest thing that you ever saw in your entire practice is that you actually found a maggot inside a woman's uterus.
1: I did, inside her vagina. Her
0: vagina, thank you. It
1: was so disturbing to me because <laughs> you, don't, you don't understand. Like, I'm one of those people that is so worm squirmy. Right. Like, literally, when we did the Helminth chapter in medical school where you're studying all the different worms that can, you know, all the parasites that can infect you, I was so heebie jeebie out I almost had to drop out of my class. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so here this woman comes in, and she's this incredibly well-dressed professional woman complaining of some this feeling of a moving sensation in her vagina. And I was so disturbed by this. <laughs> right um when i when I put the speculum in and I saw that she had like three three maggots in there. Right. Five maggots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I almost quit medicine right then and there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean to laugh, but as, um, you know, a person who's worked in medicine, I, I, I know we all have our certain gag place. You know, everyone yes. has a thing that you can't do and you hopefully, in your case, if you had your practice alone, did you have another physician work with I, you?
1: I did. I had four partners at the time uh, and I actually had them come and look. I'm like, excellent. am I crazy? Am I, <laughs> am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? And they're like, yep,
0: you are. Oh, uh, uh, well, and that's, You know, that's just one of the most interesting stories I've ever heard, but the whole book is like that, you know, where it's direct and honest and questions that people are afraid to ask their gynecologist. Yeah, You know, things that they're afraid to say. Luckily, this woman went to the doctor, went to you, of course, and, and said what was happening to her, and you were able to fix her up, and she's all better and well. <laughs> you know, yes, so I,
1: I couldn't even tell her. I thought, you know, there's no way I can tell this woman oh. she has maggots in her vagina. If somebody told me that, they'd have to anesthetize me.
0: Oh, my gosh, you are so sweet that you didn't ah. tell her.
1: Well, I-, I told her she had a um, a, a little infection, you know. Flash <laughs> infestation, and and that I would be able to treat it with this medication. I basically treated her for worms.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, and it worked. I had her you come back. So and they much for not telling her. You, really, that's know, just seriously. adorable. That's seriously. just adorable.
1: How how can you go? How can you like walk out of the doctor's office and actually live your life and know <laughs> that there were maggots in there? Like, no, that's nobody should have to go
0: through that. So your book is full of you know tons of questions from just regular questions that maybe women want to know and men because you also talk about in the beginning of your book about one of your patients boyfriends that always came in for his girlfriend's pap smear was looking over your shoulder I, th- <laughs> I think he was the type who really wanted to be a gynecologist personally I so,
1: too. I was like you know that's just a little TMI like I don't think <laughs> I want my boyfriend like hanging out down there with the gynecologist
0: Absolutely and another thing you talk about is as a gynecologist male or female a lot of people I'm sure wonder why would you want to do that all day you know why would you want to be in that part of a woman women's body day in and day out. But what you wrote was lovely, and I think it's really true. I'd never thought about it, but I certainly do prep and pimp a little bit before I head to my gynecologist. And you said women look great, they smell wonderful, (laughs) they put great makeup on, they dress nicely for you.
1: They do. They get all dressed up to go to the gynecologist. And I told one of my favorite stories, and there was uh, a story that I actually heard on a radio call-in show when I was driving to work one day, and they asked for the best gynecologist story ever. And this one woman called in and she said, you know, I was trying to get in to see my really popular gynecologist and and he's really booked out. It takes months and months to get in. And they called me and said, he has an opening, but you have to be here in like a half an hour. (laughs) And she lived right around, you know, she lived kind of far from him. So she's like rushing to try to get ready to go to the gynecologist, like runs into the bathroom and doesn't get to do her full, take a shower, you know, trim and spritz and all of that (laughs) kind of thing. So she just grabs the washcloth, wipes herself off and like runs out the door and goes to the gynecologist's office. And then she's in the stirrups. And he's like, wow, you went all out for me today. And she had spritzed on a little Giorgio. So she's thinking it's the Giorgio. And she gets home, and her daughter is like, Mom, where's my washcloth? Oh, my gosh. What washcloth? And she says, You know, the one that has all the glitter in it. That. And she goes and hunts down the washcloth she used to wash herself off, and sure enough, it's full of pink glitter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's precious. But that's I'm just king, precious. You know? <laughs> yeah, I just think that's absolutely precious. So we'll start with one of the basic questions, and um, for those people who listen to our show all the time, you know that Eric is our regular audio engineer, and we're helping him not blush too much. I think. <laughs> I think <laughs> the last. Sorry, Eric. Yeah, it's adorable, actually. In fact, um, when I. Interviewed Dr. Northrop, who wrote the forward to your book, which is yes, lovely. Um, a of mine, she's lovely woman. Just a lovely woman. Eric blushed a little bit then too. We had some interesting <laughs> callers <laughs> asking interesting questions, but he's getting used to it. So one of the questions that I think
2: I don't think anything can prepare you <laughs> for that maggot story. Though. <laughs> no, no, I'm a gynecologist,
1: and nothing <laughs> can prepare me for yeah,
0: that. I was going to prepare him beforehand, but I decided mm-hmm. not to. So it, one of the questions I think that a lot of women may think about is what's the most common labia size, and please don't say that all vaginas are different and special seriously what's the most common size
1: you know honestly that was the number one most common question that I got in this book wow I solicited questions from my online community from owningpink.com and from twitter and facebook and I gave people an opportunity to anonymously ask me anything they wanted I must have gotten that question about 50 times wow literally wow! Um, so many women are concerned that there's something not right with them. Almost all of the questions that came in for the book were variations on the question, am I normal? Wow. And 90% of the time, the answer is yes, you're normal, you're beautiful, you're perfect just the way you are. Right. But this one was, you know, this one was really funny because the, the way that she had asked it, like, and don't say all vaginas are different is special. <laughs> because, of course, the answer is all vaginas are different is they special. Are. Yeah. But actually, there was a study that was done about this. Somebody actually brought out a tape measure and measured uh, 2,981 <laughs> women. And funny. it turns out that 87.7% of them have labia, inner labia. This is what we're talking about, labia minora. That right. 87.7% of them have labia minora that are 0 to 3 quarters of an inch long.
0: Wow. Okay, that's amazing.
1: So, so that would be. 0.7% maybe. of them have uh, labia that are 2 to 2 and a third inches long.
0: That's just amazing.
1: That. Yeah, so everything in between is totally normal.
0: <laughs> so we're talking to Dr. Lissa Rankin, who's calling in from California, who's wrote this amazing book called What's Up Down There? Questions you'd only ask your gynecologist if she was your best friend, which is really fun because in the beginning of the book, you talk about your best friends calling you and asking you these funny questions and laughing and having their margaritas in New York or whatnot, and you wishing you could be there. So we would love to chat with you more. We're going to take a break here on the Marie Manu Cherry Show, and we'll be right back with Lissa Rankin.
3: If you want to know how to get in touch with Marie or find out what's on her calendar, there are a variety of ways to find out. Become Marie's friend on Facebook or follow her on Twitter. Sign up for Marie's free newsletter. Each quarter, she writes an in depth article and responds to Dear Marie questions. Email Marie if you'd like your question to be answered in an upcoming edition. Also, be sure to check out Marie's website in January. The class schedule for 2011 will be posted along with a complete website makeover. For more information, visit Marie's website, energyintuitive.com, or call 425-825-5671.
2: The Gary Mann Show has found a winter home on Saturdays, immediately following Manson Mitchell in the morning.
4: We welcome Marcy Shimoff at 10 a.m. to discuss her new book, Love for No Reason, following her international bestseller, Happy for No Reason.
2: Then stay for the Gary Mann Show at 11 when Terry Loving reveals the secrets to social networking and marketing that really works. So have pen and paper handy.
4: At noon, meet Cassandra and Selena Cloverleaf, identical twins who have shared telepathic and other psychic experiences since early childhood.
2: Saturday morning, starting at 10 a.m. Pacific. On the AM band at 1150, and on the FM HD band at 98.9 HD3. Alternative Talk 1150.
0: And welcome back to the Marie Cherry Show. We are live here in Seattle talking to Dr. Alyssa Rankin, who is the author of the book, What's Up Down There? Very fun and funny stuff. And we actually have a caller at, who has some questions about that. So who do we have, Eric?
2: Well, we've got a couple callers. But before we get to them, I'd love to give out the phone number so people can Great. call in on the show today. Uh, you can call us locally at 425-373-5527. Again, that's 425 425- 373 5527 or toll free at 877 825 8828. That's 877 825 8828. And now let's go ahead and talk to Shauna in Sammamish and let's go ahead and bring her on.
0: Yeah. Hi, Shauna. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. You have
4: a question for Alyssa? I do. I have a question. I'm 37, and I was wondering, is that too early for a woman to go through perimenopause if they think they have, you know, some of that stuff going on? And how would they find out if that's in fact what they're going through?
1: Hi, Shauna. So thank you Hi. so much for calling in. Uh, well, yes. 37 is certainly young. The average age for menopause in this country is 51, 52. But it's certainly possible Uh, at 37 if you were going through menopause at this point or perimenopause it would be considered what we call premature ovarian failure which means that the ovaries sometimes they just poop out early sooner than they're supposed to but it's pretty easy to find out if that's what's going on there certainly are lots of other conditions that can mimic perimenopause particularly things like thyroid disease or adrenal dysfunction and so a series of blood tests could definitely help figure that out. Most specifically, the uh, testing your estradiol levels and your SSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone, that should give your gynecologist an idea of whether or not there's anything like that going on. And for your sake, I hope, I hope it's not. <laughs> you're you're I young and vital, and you'll be young and vital even after menopause. But I hope, uh, I hope that you're able to keep your hormones a little bit longer. Okay, cool. So just go get some blood testing because it could be other things as well. Exactly, okay. exactly. Particularly, make sure they test your thyroid. Oh. Test my
3: thyroid. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: So that has to do with weight issues and stuff sometimes too, exactly. right? Okay. Exactly. Okay. I hope that helps. Oh, it does. Thank you so much, and you're thank so you very You're welcome. A wonderful guest on it. Oh, <laughs> <Thank> you're <laughs> welcome. So, Thanks. Bye bye. So,
0: Lisa, do you think that taking because there's so many different herbal products on the market, they don't have hormones in them, but they help maintain hormones like Dun Quai or black Cohosh. you know, they have all these remedies for perimenopause and menopausal women. Do you recommend those for your patients?
1: You know, most of the time when patients came to see me, I ran an integrative medicine practice. Mm. And so I, I got a lot of people interested in sort of natural mm-hmm. solutions. And often by the time people came to see me, they had already tried those sorts of things. Uh. They're definitely less effective than, you know, hormones themselves. So I ended up doing a lot of work with bioidentical hormones, which are definitely the quick and dirty, you know, straight to the problem kind of fix. Um, but certainly some people have benefit from some of those other natural products. It's very individual. And menopause in general, perimenopause in general, is such an individual process.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. That's true. So now we're g- I'm going to ask a couple of questions from the book. Um, these are about orgasm. So does the size of your clitoris predict the strength of an orgasm?
1: No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> although, as, as I said in my book, having a larger clitoris can certainly make it easier to find. <laughs> and right. and, it's, and it's definitely, there definitely is an association between the position of your clitoris and the ability to orgasm during intercourse, for example. So women who have a clitoris that is closer to the vagina, where the distance between the clitoris and the vaginal opening is short, Mm -hmm. as opposed to longer, Mm -hmm. I find it more easy to be able to orgasm during intercourse. You know, very few women really can. There's only about 30 to 35% of women that can orgasm from intercourse alone. Right. And those who can are more likely to have their clitoris close to the vaginal opening. But the size of the clitoris itself, it doesn't make a bit of difference.
0: Very interesting. So here's another question. If I have a hysterectomy, will it affect my orgasm?
1: You know that again is such an individual question. When when you talk to women, some women swear that it has. However, when you look at big studies, um, the you know the big studies that they've done to look at women with hysterectomy actually find that many women after hysterectomy they have an improvement in their sexual life oh. because the reason that they ended up getting the hysterectomy was getting in the in the way of their sex life. Oh, very so, interesting. You know, if a woman has fibroids or she has endometriosis and has severe pain or you know, she has cancer or, or so, some reason that might lead her to need the hysterectomy, often that will be a, a burden on her sex life. And eliminating that burden often makes women feel more free. In addition, some women, because they no longer are worried about pregnancy, <laughs> you know, they sort of have eliminated that issue, feel more kind of sexually liberated. However, there are some women that, um, that say that after they've had a hysterectomy, things just feel different. Mm -hmm. And if they were really happy with their sex life beforehand, there are some women that are disappointed afterwards. Hmm. It's very individual. But like Hmm. I said, the big studies show that there's when you look at both populations and study their sexual response, their orgasm, their satisfaction with their sex life, there's not a big difference between the two groups.
0: Hmm. Fascinating. So we have a caller on the line. Who do we have, Eric?
2: Well, right now we are going to talk to Catherine in Seattle.
0: And Catherine has a question that's more associated with your coaching career now, although oh, you, you were coaching while women had their feet in the stirrups anyway. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. Well, well, they were in a chair, I have Okay. To say.
0: Well, okay. <laughs> you waited till after the pap I smear. Did. I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Catherine, welcome. Do you have a question for Alyssa? For Alyssa?
4: Um, hi. Yeah. <clears throat> I had a first call wanting... Um, uh, I was concerned about my career, if anybody saw anything about that. But I have to say that with the maggot
1: story, (laughs) I just have to ask, how did that happen? You know, I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. I asked this woman all sorts of questions, like, has she been putting food up there, like some strange sexual practices? (laughs) Has she been, you know, hanging out in parasite-infested waters in the Amazon? Has she okay. been, you know, I, I literally thought of everything I could think of, like unusual, you know, lubricants, like whipped cream. Okay. <laughs> you know? she, okay. she said no to everything. She had a totally ordinary sex life. She was in a committed relationship. Like I said, she's had great hygiene. I have no idea, and I've never been able to find another gynecologist to be able to explain that. So. Okay. you got
4: me. <laughs> All right. Well, that's very strange. So, um, yeah, I am, like, sort of unsatisfied with my career path. But the other thing, since I didn't know it was going to be um, somebody with gynecology background on the radio, the thing that has been a huge problem, so this is sort of like another subject, um, the thing that's been a huge problem in my marriage, I've been married for close to, oh, my gosh, 18, 19 years, <clears throat> is our differences in sexual appetite? And um, I've read everything, and the thing is, it's just—it's just, it's just uh, gosh, God has a sense of humor, making us so different. With men, I mean, I have a high testosterone level husband, and I'm also eight and a half years younger than—I mean, older than him. Um, I'm almost
1: fifty-five, and I feel like I could just be happy without sex. So it's a big problem. Yes. Yes, and that's such a common problem, Catherine. I hear that all the time. In fact, I had, I had a patient who, um, that when I was delivering babies, who had just delivered a baby and she came up to me and she said, you know, honestly, I love my husband and I swear I, I, I think I would be okay if I never had sex again. And she went so far as saying, you know, I really might even be okay with him just, like, getting that on the side, so I don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> yes. and so so many friends have said that through the years, and it's like hardly ever anybody talks about it. On Oprah,
4: they have somebody, oh, we'll have sex every day, and then you'll like it even more. And I'm like, that's not reality.
1: Right, right. It is a big problem, and it certainly is a, 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 can be a relationship buster. In fact, the woman that I'm telling you about is now in the middle of a divorce. That was almost right. eight years ago. Um, right. But the the truth of the matter is that relationships usually don't survive if one partner wants sex and the other doesn't, and right. and they've not they've not been able to find a way to um, to mitigate that. So right. you know, to some degree, what I tell my clients is if you have a big difference between your partner, whichever one of you is the one with lower libido. You know, go make yourself go through the process of kind of faking it till you make it. And what I tell people is, you know, and 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 my friend Dr. Michelle Gannon recommends the same thing: is spend five minutes being physical with each other. Don't force the issue. You know, it's not that you have to do something that you don't want to do, but that if you can kind of get into the mode and take the time and set set yourself away from your daily, ex, you know, all of the expectations of your life, and yeah. schedule a date and do it at eight o'clock, not at midnight. When you're right. exhausted, you know, you don't want to have to, like, do the laundry, do your job, and then do your husband. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, right, but putting yourself in the position so that the opportunity can arise in a way that feels natural is, is certainly a way to kind of overcome that. Because the problem is, if, if basically you and your partner avoid it indefinitely, then that glue that tends to hold partners together just starts to separate. And it can be yeah. a real problem. I don't know how your partner is feeling about this.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, that's a long story. Yeah. So I' Can't get into it
1: right now. Yeah. So and
4: I won't. I won't take up any more of your time. It's pretty much the same old, same old. Right. Um, so, so
1: there's a whole know. section though. There's a whole section in my book on on how to improve your libido. <laughs> so okay.
3: there, there definitely are
1: things that you can do to actively make a difference on your end. And, right, like and, exercise, exactly, separately. exactly. Yeah. But and and like I said, to making sex dates. Um, yeah. You know, bringing up other things into your life that might turn you on that you might not even be aware of.
4: True. True. So there are things you can do. Yes. Thank okay, you well. so
0: much, Catherine, for calling in. We wish you the okay. best. Thank you. Thank you so much. So now I'm going to go back to the book and ask a question before we go back to the phone lines. If I'm pretty sure I have a yeast infection and it is, is it kosher to just pick up some Monistat at Walgreens and be done with it? Or do I have to take the day off work so I can see my gynecologist?
1: Well, you know, what I tell people is if you're pretty sure you have a yeast infection, you know what a yeast infection is and you know how to self-diagnose, it's totally fine to go to go to the drugstore and get some Monistat. Um, the thing to be aware of is that there's also a lot of over-the-counter products that are not actually yeast cures. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the marketing, there's a lot of things like Vagistil that are sort of marketing as if they're yeast medications, but they're actually anti-itch creams ah. and not anti-fungal creams. Mm-hmm. So it's important to differentiate between that. Monistat actually used to be prescription only, and it is an antifungal that will kill the yeast. Mm -hmm. Um, The anti-itch creams are going to make you feel better for a little while, and then you're going to wake up the next morning with a more raging yeast infection because they've just had time to multiply. So that's the important thing. The other thing to keep in mind is it's very easy to misdiagnose a yeast infection. And a lot of people come to, you know, when I was practicing, came to see me after taking Monistat, and it turned out actually they had bacterial vaginosis which is a different type of vaginal infection that is characterized less by itching, cottage, cheesy, white discharge and burning and more <laughs> by kind of a fishy smell, kind of a thin, greenish discharge sometimes and irritation. So it's important to know one or the other. If you, don't, if you can't tell, then yeah, go to the gynecologist so you can tell the difference so that you can get rid of it as soon as possible.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for all that advice, because all those things are really important for women. So he, here's a question on the opposite end of menopause. My friend told me I should hold my legs up in the air for 15 minutes after sex if I want to get pregnant. Is this true?
1: <laughs> I had to go to all of my infertility specialist friends to ask about this one. They're like, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, certainly it doesn't hurt. I mean, yeah, gravity is good. Keep those things in there, but the, the sperm are such fast little swimmers that they and, and they and they have a great sense of direction their like little honing mechanism is so intense Mm. that they can find that egg no matter where you are and no matter what position you're in.
0: Oh, that's funny. I love that. I just love that, what you said, little homing devices. (laughs) And another one kind of on the same, you know, pregnancy question. Are there sex acts we should avoid if we're trying to make a baby? Oral sex, vibrators, lubricants, whipped cream?
1: (laughs) You know, personally, I think if you're able to have a good sex life while you're pregnant, go for it in whatever way it takes. You know, pregnancy is a time where... Many women find that their libido is soaring because their hormones are raging. Um, But some women have issues with their changing body, and they feel uncomfortable in their skin. So I basically tell people, do whatever it is you can do to feel good about yourself. Although, be careful about whipped cream. I'm I'm still not sure where those maggots
0: came from. I (laughs) know. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. So, Eric, let's go back to the phone lines.
2: All right. Let's talk to Pam in Spokane.
0: Hi, Pam. How are you? Hi. Hi. You have a
5: question for Lisa? Hey, thanks for taking my call. It's easier to get into your show when you're talking about vaginas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We love talking about this stuff.
5: Hi, Dr. Rankin. Hey, I'm 66, and I've had a hysterectomy because of fibroids, but I do have my ovaries. And I was on bioidenticals for like 10 years, and that was fine, except insurance doesn't cover it. So I went off... um, For financial reasons, really, but I wanted to find out what is my body doing, but I can really kind of tell the difference, and and I'm thinking at my age, can the ovaries um, spunk it up and be producing estrogen, or is there anything that you can do to stimulate that?
1: Well... Pretty much after menopause, the ovaries don't do a whole lot. They still make a little bit of testosterone, and so those who have had their ovaries removed often notice that they do have some decrease in libido because that that small bit of testosterone that's produced hmm. even after that's menopause. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that small bit of of testosterone is still important, and and those who don't have ovaries, there is some benefit to to uh, replacing with testosterone creams that you mm-hmm. can get at compounding mm-hmm. pharmacies. Um, but as far as estrogen, pretty much the, there's not a whole lot going on from the ovaries after menopause. And there's okay. really not much you can do to stimulate it. One thing I just want to point out for you is that there are, um, it, I'm assuming what you were talking about with regard to the bioidentical hormones not being covered, right. is related to compounding pharmacy, like when they're making creams or pills from a pharmacy. Yeah, compounding I was pharmacy. like on a
5: bias drop and a progesterone exactly. trochee, like
1: real low dose. Yep. Biost and things like that are not usually covered by insurance, but just so you know, ViVelle is a patch that is a bioidentical hormone, and it's available as, at a pharmacy, at a regular pharmacy, and usually that is covered by health insurance. Prometrium is also a progesterone that's a bioidentical progesterone. The, the funny thing about hormones is that you can't patent natural hormones Because they're natural, and you have to be able to, in order to be able to patent something, you have to be able to synthesize it in some way and prove that it's something that's different than natural. So most drugs are patented synthetic drugs or hormones, Um, and that's what things like Premarin and PremPro and those sorts of hormones are synthetic hormones. Right. But what you can do is you can patent a a unique delivery system. So Vival, for example, is a special type of patch that delivers the the natural hormone in a special way, so they've been able to get around that.
5: Is that V-I-V-A-L?
1: V-I-V-E-L-L-E. And that's the estrogen? That's the estrogen, and prometrium is the progesterone. So if I have clients that uh, really can't afford going to a compounding pharmacy, that's what I usually use.
5: Okay. And um, in terms of testing, back when I got on the bioidenticals, um, they did saliva testing. Is there blood work that's equally good in terms of getting your levels figured out?
1: Well, that's a very controversial question. If you look at the data, it's very fuzzy. Uh, serum data, meaning blood testing for estradiol and that sort, of, those sorts of hormones, is pretty unreliable. Salivary testing is also pretty unreliable, but I, I tend to find that it's more useful than than blood testing, especially once somebody is already on hormones. So, for example, if somebody is taking hormones and I'm wanting to know where their hormone levels are, then I will do salivary testing. If they're not on hormone levels, if they're not on hormones at all, rather. I often will start with serum testing because it's more likely to be covered by health insurance, and at least it gives me a baseline.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful.
5: So is
1: there anything else? I'm sorry? Is there any other option? Those You're are the two saying... most common ones, blood testing and salivary testing. Mm-hmm. There yeah. are other ways to test, but they're, they're, they tend to be more experimental and more expensive.
0: Okay. Thank you so much,
1: Pam. Awesome. I hope
0: that helps. Good
5: luck. And Marie, is there anything you wanted
1: to say? <laughs> oh, you
0: mean you mean intuitively? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Actually, this is a really, really great time for you. I mean, I think it's great you want to find ways to balance your hormones. I think that's absolutely lovely. Maybe part of what's calling you is your second chakra. You look like, to me, like you're ready to bloom, blossom, yeah. dance. You just yeah. have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time in your life. And so, I would stay in the happiness and the joy as much as possible. And while you're in that buzzy, happy, vibrational place, I would find things to do that also inspire more of that joy or keep that frequency up because I really think you're an exploration transformative place for you right now. It's very exciting. Yeah, Very thank happy you so you. much. You're welcome, and have a fabulous day. Yeah, thank you. You too. All righty, Bye. bye-bye. That was awesome, Marie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's what I do for a living. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So, thank you. You're so sweet. We're going to take a break here with the Marie Menu Cherry Show. We are live with Dr. Lissa Rankin, the author of What's Up Down There?
2: And we're taking your phone calls. If you want to call in, you can call us locally at 425-373-5527 or toll-free at 877 877- that's 877-825-8828. For a complete list of CDs available and their descriptions, please visit Marie's website today.
1: Marie and Dr. Sheila dunn Healing from Within series can now be purchased on DVD. This four-part interactive series was filmed live at their weekend workshops. The DVDs include medical and energetic insight, as well as informative tools you can use for a lifetime. Chakra exercises and dietary guidelines are included. The first two DVDs on detoxification and heart health are available now through Marie's website, www.energyintuitive.com. Coming soon are the Brain Health and Hormonal System DVDs. Purchase your copy today
3: and get started on your own healing process. If you want to know how to get in touch with Marie or find out what's on her calendar, there are a variety of ways to find out. Become Marie's friend on Facebook or follow her on Twitter. Sign up for Marie's free newsletter. Each quarter, she writes an in-depth article and responds to Dear Marie questions. Email Marie if you'd like your question to be answered in an upcoming edition. Also, be sure to check out Marie's website in January. The class schedule for 2011 will be posted along with a complete website makeover. For more information, visit Marie's website, energyintuitive.com, or call 425-825-5671.
0: Negativity and fear, two staples of talk radio. Well, we figured we'd try something different. Alternative Talk, 1150. And welcome back to the Marie Manuccieri Show. Got my tongue a little tied today. We are live here in Seattle and also streamed on the internet. You can go to KKW 1150 AM, or energyintuitive.com, my website. I just want to give a shout out to the winners of CDs and DVDs on Tuesday who won. We had three. We had Monique, Sandra, and Renee won, and Sandra actually already wrote in and asked for the Immune, Healthy Immune System CD, so we're sending that off to her. We're so excited for her, and all of our callers who listen, who are winning CDs and DVDs all through the month of January. Thank you for being brave and calling in. Speaking of callers, who do we have on the air?
2: Well, we've got the very brave Mindy on the line, (laughs) calling from Seattle.
0: Oh, hi Mindy, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Great, thank you. Do you have a question for Dr. Alyssa Rankin?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I was recently
4: diagnosed with high blood pressure. I mean, it's really high. And um, I wonder, I'm also fifty and I'm going through menopause, and I wonder if there's a connection.
1: Could you hear her question, okay, Listen. Uh, I'm just going to repeat the question, make sure I understood. you're 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 fifty between high blood pressure and menopause. Okay. You know, certainly there's a there's a connection between high blood pressure and aging but not specifically between high blood pressure and menopause. The only, the only caveat I would say to that is that there is a connection between high blood pressure and taking estrogen. Mm. So if you've recently started hormone replacement, for example, because of your menopause, and you've suddenly discovered that you have high blood pressure, th- those two certainly could be related. But menopause and high blood pressure in general aren't specifically related.
0: So, Mindy, are you taking? Um, no, I'm not. Okay, yeah, no. yeah. Well, yeah. You, you know what's interesting is your root chakra is really active. So I don't know what's going on in your first family, like if there's something going on with your parents, or if somebody's had some health issues, or you're reevaluating your life significantly because your root chakra is spinning backwards and pretty pretty quickly. So uh, whether that has led to your blood pressure, I'm not sure. It does govern all the blood in the body, but mostly like the factors and the cellular aspects, not necessarily the Pressure that's usually more for chakra.
4: Well, I'm separated from my parents and I really miss them. Ah they yeah. um, in San Diego.
0: And, and so separated, you mean just by uh, distance or emotionally separated? Yeah, we talk every day, but... Oh, okay. Well, m- you know, maybe what would be really fun that you could do is to actually just imagine that they're... Maybe take a little meditation moment today or tomorrow or sometime this week and just imagine that they're in the room with you because if you guys all miss each other and love each other, their energy is going to come into the living room because they're not going to want you to have high blood pressure anyway. They're Yeah, their energy is going to come into the living room, and maybe you can feel fulfilled um, for a a temporary period of time of feeling their energy in your house, and then maybe do that if it works, which I think it will actually, maybe do it once a week or every two weeks, and just let yourself have your parents in your life, even though they're not terribly far away. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah,
4: And and the other thing is, um, we're looking for a home, and I want a homestead, uh, and my husband really doesn't want to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that can definitely upset the apple cart of the root chakra because it's all about being grounded and in your body, and and homes have a lot to do with that. So that could be a big part of it. So maybe some meditation, which I'm I'm sure um, Alyssa talks about how to calm down the body as well, um, you know, to help reduce that blood pressure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We wish you the best. Thank you so much. Sending love from your parents to you. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. So, going back to the book, here's a question i th- I think is interesting. It says, "My nipples are the same color as my skin. Is that normal? Is there anything I can do to make them darker which i is well, you just finished a college tour
1: I did where I think you talked- I'm not done with
0: it actually I'm, I'm going
1: not. out again in February to delaware texas so. Oh, my gosh. I'm still on the college tour.
0: (laughs) That's so exciting. It's like you're back in college.
1: I know. I've been to 20 cities going all over the place to to, to women on this Monastad sponsored tour.
0: Oh, really? That's who sponsored you. How exciting. I think that's wonderful. And so, of course, uh, you're getting a lot of questions about sex.
1: I am. I mean, most, you know, these college women, there are just so many things that they're curious about. And they, they talk to each other, but they end up often perpetuating misinformation.
2: Oh, really?
1: So it's been great. We've been, I've been able to give them little pink cards so that they can anonymously ask anything they want. And I get hundreds of questions from them, and it's just awesome to be able to open dialogue and have them walk in kind of shrunk over with their shoulders you know curled around their legs crossed and they walk out and they're linking arms with their girlfriends and talking about this stuff.
0: Oh, that's just precious. That's great. So, I guess some people want their nipples darker?
1: Well, you know, it's it's I think certainly the the stereotypical image that we're used to is of the brown nipple and the white skin, which of course is not the way most of the world is. There are lots of brown skins and black skins and, you know, lighter nipples and darker nipples. So it's, I think we've been we've become so tarnished often by the, the stereotypical images that we see. You know, many women, if you're not a lesbian or a gynecologist, the only images you may see of other women is in the media, in mm-hmm. pornography or in, you know, rated-R-movies or, or, or whatever. And so we often come to... Compare ourselves to these stereotypical images. When in truth, as a gynecologist, I can tell you that the variation is incredibly wide, and there are certainly women who have nipples that are the same color as their skin that are not pigmented. And you know, if this is if this is an issue for women, then there are some women that choose to get their areolas tattooed. You can get them colored, however, right. whatever color you want them. But I'm right. a big fan of helping people learn to live in the skin that they're in.
2: Yeah, to love all that. I don't see any that. need
1: to do something like that. And mm-hmm. the same goes for. Vaginal rejuvenation surgery. Don't get me started. I start ranting when I talk about that. <laughs> I it makes think me Pil- crazy.
0: I think Pilates works, is what I've heard. And you know, instead of that rejuvenation surgery, I think the Pilates works quite well.
1: Well, there are women that are at, there are women out there getting these surgeries done, and there are doctors that are promoting these surgeries, oh, of, wow. like getting your labia trimmed. And uh, you know, if your labia are too long, and it just makes me crazy.
0: Well, and I can see why because it's unnecessary, absolutely. absolutely, and there's
1: like I said, there's nothing wrong with the skin we're all in,
0: no, no, it's be- and you know i th- I think that as a media it's not really quite strong yet, but I do think we're getting more and more comfortable with. Loving women's bodies the way they are, no matter what size, shape, height. I think that exactly. we're moving in that direction, which is really healthy for us as a country.
1: Exactly. There's actually a blog post today on owningpink.com. It's the oh. first part of my Love Your Labia series. <laughs> Love and there's, it. there's actually a, a beautiful, uh, there's an image of a beautiful poster that was made by this guy, Nick Karras, who's a sexologist. And it's He's a photographer as well, and it's photographs of labia, of like lots of labia, just showing the differentiation, like how varied all of us are. And it's beautiful. It's called Love My Petals.
0: (laughs) You are so sweet and funny. I just think it's beautiful. I really do. It's really gorgeous. So here's another question. Back to breasts again. I quit nursing a year ago, but when I squeeze my nipples, milk still comes out. What is that?
1: Well, stop squeezing your nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, after you're breastfeeding, you know, as long as the breast thinks that there might be a baby there suckling, the yeah. breast is going to continue to make milk. So the important thing when you're weaning is to stop all nipple stimulation, and that may mean not, you know, not having your sexual partner playing with your breast as well. So most of the time, you know, within a few months, that any, any remaining milk kind of dries up. But if you continue to stimulate them, there are some people that a year later are continuing to be able to express milk if they squeeze. Um, beyond a year, you know, it's definitely worth kind of getting it looked at just to make sure there's not a prolactinoma or some sort of, which is a brain, a benign brain tumor that can actually release prolactin and oh, make the breast lactate. Yeah, yeah. So there know, are some other causes as well, like drug side effects. So if it's it's been if it's been long and you're not stimulating your nipples, then definitely get the doctor to take a look.
0: Hmm. I, wonder, I wish that we could take a picture of Eric's face. It's priceless. <laughs> Every time I ask a question, it's just priceless. So here's another one. I'm forty five years old and have been using an IUD for decades. I'm tempted to take it out, but I definitely don't want to get pregnant. When can I safely stop using contraception?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I have an IUD. I love it. I have to say, just a plug for my IUD. Like, <laughs> I took the pill forever. I was on the pill nonstop for most of my 20s, almost all of my 20s and 30s. Right,
0: right. And I had
1: it put in when I was postpartum, and I just love my IUD. Um, Anyway, when can you stop using contraception altogether? Well, you know what? There are 45-year-olds that have gotten sick pregnant spontaneously. I know. You know, the risk of that is pretty low. I certainly, having many friends that are in their mid-40s and trying to get pregnant, I can tell you how hard it is. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, unless you're willing to be a 45-year-old mom, you don't want to go taking out your IUD quite yet, just because technically, until you're in menopause, you can get pregnant.
0: It's really true.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's and I very and of true. course it's it's always the people that aren't trying to get pregnant. It's always <laughs> the, the forty seven year old who has who just put her last kid through college. <laughs> yeah. Who gets pregnant? No, oh, seriously. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't I want that stories. to be me. Oh, I believe it. I so believe it. I I so do. Here's an interesting. Um, it's not a question. It's just something that happened to you that one of your patients sued you for stealing her labia.
1: Oh, my goodness. And now she's going to start calling your radio station. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> this is a true story, and she's back since the book came out. Really? Yes. Yes. She's convinced that I stole her labia, and she's sued me three times now. Oh, my god. I had to actually go to small claims court and stand in front of a judge <laughs> and tell the judge. And my, my lawyer came as my witness to say, this case has been adjudicated, and it's been thrown out twice. Oh Yeah, poor thing. She's a paranoid schizophrenic, and if she's listening, really, honey, I didn't take it. It's not in the jar. It's (laughs) still attached. Thank goodness another doctor examined her right after she claims that I did this, and and was able to, you know, write a testimony saying, it's all there.
0: (laughs) I think she just loves you, even though she's not really showing that towards you. I think she just loves you and connects you in her own unique
1: way. I feel for her. She sends me these letters with these Like, scary drawings of little (laughs) disembodied boxes and little scary fires and stuff, saying, you have something of mine. Where is it? In a jar? I
0: know.
1: Oh, it's, I mean, really, I think that's a precious
0: story. And I think she really, you do connect to her because you feel for her. You know, you're such a compassionate, caring individual that she can feel that and, uh yeah, she just connects in a way that probably drives you a little bit nuts.
1: I just
0: want her to get. I just want her to get, get better. Oh, yeah. Well, we all, we're all going to send healing light and energy to her so that she does get better. Yeah. So that none of that happens any longer. Healing oh. juju
1: all the way across.
0: So, so back to the forty-five-year-old who probably can't take birth control pills anymore, or it's highly recommended. I mean, I, I just think that you know, I think. After a while, synthetic hormones are not the best for us. That's
1: true. It's true.
0: And so if they're not going to use an IUD, or in, in your case, you're saying, oh, let's just keep that in, because they can last up to a decade. Isn't that true?
1: Well, it depends which one you have. I have mm-hmm. the Mirena, which mm-hmm. lasts for five years, and the Copper T lasts for 10 years. Ah, okay. Yeah. And, and, so, it's, and it definitely is important for her to use something if she gets it out, because by the age, they've, they've done studies, by the age of 45, 87 to 99% of women are infertile.
0: Oh, I see. Okay, that's but, interesting.
1: But that means potentially 13% can get pregnant.
0: And those little homing devices know how exactly. to find those eggs. they exactly. just triggered exactly. right towards it. So other things would be perhaps a diaphragm.
1: Diaphragm, condoms, you know, certainly those are, I recommend those less for mm-hmm. women in their 20s because they are so fertile and mm-hmm. the failure rates are relatively high. Mm-hmm. But when you combine the relative infertility of a 45-year-old with, the, you know, the general effectiveness of a diaphragm or condoms, and that works well. I certainly have women, as long as they don't have high blood pressure, I certainly have women that I've used birth control pills beyond 45, as long as, you know, they're well monitored and I use very low dose, like 20 microgram pills. So that right. it's not it's certainly not a, an absolute exclusion unless they're a smoker.
0: Or mm-hmm. have high blood pressure. Or have a history of blood clots
2: and things
1: exactly. of that nature.
0: Well,
2: that's right? for any any age.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, for any age. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have another caller. Who do we have, Eric?
2: We've got Jim in Woodenville on the line.
0: Okay. <laughs> we love it when men call. Exactly. For any reason. Oh, great. Jim, what can we do for you today?
4: Well, uh, my wife is, was taking one of those hormone patches and then decided she didn't want to uh, take it anymore because she's like, things were tight and... She's like sacrificing her, her uh, self for the good of of all, which is kind of not really the thing. And then the <laughs> sex drive goes down because of that. And you briefly talked about that, but so should I just push her to spend some money on getting her patches back, or?
1: Well, what has happened to her vitality since she stopped? How is she feeling overall?
4: Uh, kind of more crabby.
1: Yeah. Well, I—I I mean, I think it's certainly for some women hormones are the answer. For some women, hormones aren't. So it's very individual as far as whether or not it's a good thing for her. If she's, pers- you know, if she personally has had the experience of of taking the hormones and and felt much better, and you noticed sort of as an outside observer that she's feeling better and it's better for your sex life and that sort of thing then certainly it may be worth giving up other things to prioritize the financial responsibility of of including that in her life. But again, it's a very individual and private decision. You know, I I would just encourage you to give her permission to, to figure out a way to make that happen if it's really what's in her best interest and she feels more vital that way.
4: Exactly.
1: And
0: maybe the two of you need to start having some more fun together because I have had have a picture of your bedroom in my head. and And I'm not saying that, you know, that there isn't some fun happening, but there's not a lot of fun happening outside of the bedroom. And, you know, women, our minds were a little complicated and we need to feel, you know, some sort of sensuality before we actually get to the bedroom.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so maybe something romantic, fun, even a great hike. You know, Seattle's full of great hiking places. Maybe this isn't the best time of the year for hikes, but with maybe some great champagne on top or a little wine or even sparkling cider and maybe a beautiful card or letter you would write to her. Because a lot of times women are affected by their emotions when it comes to their sensuality as well.
1: And if you're feeling a little racier, there's a wonderful book that I love by Laura Korn called 101 (coughs) Nights of Great Sex. And it's plan seductions. It's so fun. You have to tear out these pages, so you can't read them ahead beforehand. They're <laughs> either listed for him or for her. And, and if it's for him, it means you're planning a seduction for her. If it's for her, she's planning it for you. And you tear it out, and it basically gives you, you know, how-to instructions on how to do this fun date. And they're crazy. They're crazy things like, you know, go to a 7-Eleven and buy a Playboy. This is a for her, so she would be planning this for you. Go to the 7-Eleven, buy a Playboy and get out your digital camera and all of your lingerie and give it to your partner and let him be the photographer and you're the Playboy bunny for the night.
0: <laughs> I love. It. Well, how does that Is
1: this sounding good, Jim?
4: Yeah, 101 ways work.
1: 101 nights of great sex. It's a really fun book. It's very playful. You have it's... to have an open mind though. If, you're, if, you're, if that sounds a little too racy for you, there's also 101 Nights of Great Romance.
0: No, Jim is fine. I've, I've been <laughs> in his mind. He will love every bit of this. He's okay well, with the racing. What about my
4: wife? Go her mind. <laughs> you know,
1: it's, the fun thing is that you have to plan ahead. Like, there's homework, and you have to shop for stuff, and, you know, it, it, it requires a little bit of foreshadowing, forethought, and so it can be very sexy just knowing that you're planning it and that you have a date for that night.
0: Oh,
4: Super.
0: We wish well. you the... Oh, go ahead, Jim.
4: I was just going to say thank you for your blessing. Oh, it's
1: lovely to know you. Good luck.
0: Yes, and thank you for calling in. You're brave. You're (laughs) you're very brave, and we wish you the best of luck in the bedroom and everywhere else, too, as well. (laughs) Bye-bye. Well, Lisa, it has been fantastic talking to you on the air today. so fun, huh? So much fun. I love it. And I love, thank you for talking about that book. I think that'll help a lot of people who are maybe not be having some It's a
1: great book. I have a copy in my bedroom. I have a copy in my medical office. I I recommend it a lot.
0: Oh, wonderful. And of course, there is information in your book if people want to find ways, women, find ways to increase their libido.
1: Absolutely. I know I always forget to promote my own book. There is a whole section in there about how to improve your libido.
0: Yeah, and you cover everything, of course, from menopause to pregnancy, and of course young people who aren't even planning to get pregnant, how to stay unpregnant and have fun and safe and all those wonderful things. Absolutely. Well, we thank you so much for calling and We wish you the best of luck on your tour through all the universities around the country, and we look forward to talking to you in the future.
1: Thank you so much. It was wonderful being here.
0: Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. So next week, I will be back on the air on Tuesday doing Boot Camp, boot camp for the Soul, um, finding ways to push your buttons just a little so that your soul can soar and you can create all those wonderful things that you want in your life. We had a wonderful time with our first day on Tuesday. I loved it. And as you all know now, I am live Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. every Tuesday and Thursday, which is so exciting. And you look recovered. You don't. I don't see too much (laughs) flushing going on. You're not making any funny faces anymore. I was just
2: going to say, you know, you talk about pushing buttons, and we certainly (laughs) pushed a few (laughs) buttons this afternoon. Well, you know me.
0: I always like to do those things. I just do them more often privately in my office, not necessarily always on the air. But I'm changing that.
2: Well, I think it's an important conversation because uh, a lot of guys, you know, out there, you know, that are listening, hopefully, uh, don't know a lot about this whole conversation. Topic and uh, you know so it's good for us to learn.
0: I would absolutely agree. That it's important for because women we take it so our bodies so seriously. Mm-hmm. Obviously, all the way down to the inches of the parts that most people can't see. Right. <laughs> so it's great to talk about it.
2: But you know what was really interesting in there is some of these questions. Uh, finding out just how uh, people uh, can be very insecure about their bodies because they they're afraid to ask you know mm-hmm. stuff and mm-hmm. and you know of course men are the same way in that respect too. Um, so. You know, there's a commonality there.
0: I completely agree with you. And what I've also found out from men is that men actually don't care that much. I, I mean, they, they love women. They love mm-hmm. women and they love women naked. Right. But they're not really that upset about what's not, going we're on. We're not judging. We're just no. happy if you show
2: up. <laughs> happy that you show up and take
0: off your clothes and have a good time, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've learned over my years of life. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. As always, it's a pleasure. And again, you know, we're giving away CDs and DVDs in the month of January. Thank you, gotta you be in so it much. Got to gotta be in it to win it. That's right. You've got to call to win and then go to the website. Look at all the beautiful CDs and DVDs and then we'll send one to you with the hugs and kisses wishing you incredible health. I'll be back on the air on Tuesday. And of course, Thursday, I'll be interviewing Amy Carter, a local author talking about intuition. All my love to you until next week. Joyful blessings. Bye bye.